Well, it's good to be back today. Most of you have not changed. I can remember exactly where some of you sit because you sit in the same place. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, as we come together on Mother's Day, we're called to celebrate the wide diversity of mothers that are represented here today. And women that, that God has called you into all different kinds of mothering assignments Regardless of what men say, regardless of what women say, regardless of what our culture says about being a mom, it's your mothering ministry that, that we pray is consistent with the person that God designed you to be. And as I was thinking about this message, I, I know that there would be, I, I knew there would be all kinds of moms here today. You know, different stages of life. When you think of uh, of the women that are here, we have single moms who honestly, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. You know, trying to keep the plates spinning and all of them in the air. And we have women here who desperately want to be moms, but for some reason they can't right now. We have moms who've experienced the empty nest. Jennifer and I, uh, we have an empty house. We have five children, and our, our baby is, lives in Fort Myers, and the other four have decided they are flying the coop. We've got one in Austin, Texas, one in Charlotte, North Carolina, one in Nashville, Tennessee, and one in southern Illinois, where I pastored before moving to Agape. She decided she was putting roots down. She was staying there because she married a southern Illinois boy, and he has sung the song, I Shall Not Be Moved. I mean, he is not going anywhere. So our two, two oldest, when we were here before, we had two grandchildren. We got five now, five. Now, we don't have any great-grandchildren yet, but we're looking forward to that. Listen, this grandfathering gig is wonderful. I would have done that before I became a father if I could have. I mean, it, it is amazing what, what, and we're going to get to see two of those babies, uh, Piper Jane and, and Judah this week, but I better not start talking about grandkids. We'll be here all day. Uh, I do have about a thousand pictures that I would love to show you after church, but you know, trying to keep up with, with, with all the different kinds of moms. We have mothers of wayward children and experiencing guilt and pain because they feel like they have somehow failed. And we have moms who work full-time in the marketplace. And then we've got those stay-at-home moms. And we have moms here today who are struggling deeply because they've gone through some incredible loss of a child. And we've got some moms here who this is their first Mother's Day that they're without their mother. 13 years ago yesterday, my mother passed away. She died in the car that I was driving, not because I was driving, but because she, is, she had battled a long uh, battle with cancer, and I was taking her to her doctor. She knew when she got in the car, I believe, that she was going to die, and she didn't want to die in the car that was driving behind me, which was my father's car and her car. My dad was following us. She wanted to die in my car for some reason. And she said to me these words. I'll never forget them. She, she rubbed my hand and she said, Bubby. She always called me Bubby. I was known as Bubby. Now, if you call me Brother Bubby, uh, I won't slap you, but, 
But she and my sister always called me Bubby. She said, Bubby, I'm going home. And I said, well, Mom, home's back that way. You're going home. She said, no, silly, I'm going home. And I want you to take care of that dear man called Dad. And she rubbed my hand and she said, you know how much I love him. They've been married almost 60 years. You know how much I love you and your sister. Well, nine months previously, I had lost my wife. She died of a heart attack. And here, nine months now, I'm taking my mom to the same hospital, pretty much the same doctor, the same waiting room. By the time I got her there, she was already in heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I just had to convince my dad that she was gone, and he couldn't understand why he why she didn't let him go with her. He'd suffered from Alzheimer's and dementia. You know, we've got moms here who have received children through adoption. We've got foster moms here. We, we've got moms of blended families. Jennifer and I never really thought we would be blending a family, but we, we blended a family, and you can tell we, we got a big blender at our house. But you know, one day you're probably going to feel appreciated, and the next day sometimes, especially if you're the parent of a teenager, you're going to probably the next day feel like an idiot. <laughs> but you know, moms, moms, we, we, moms of toddlers who actually want to take a nap during this sermon because they deserve one. I want to say to moms, thank you. Thank you for loving the way that you do. And we couldn't do what we do. I could never have done what I have done without, without my mom. Now, I want to speak for every intelligent male that's here. Okay, notice I said intelligent because there are some men here who actually wonder what moms do. <laughs> it's those men that are going to be submitted to a new game show that we're putting together. It's called Survivor. It's, it's really not Survivor Mom or Apprentice Mom. It's, it's kind of a combination. Here's the way it works. Six married men will be dropped off on an island with one car and four kids for six weeks. Each kid plays two sports and either takes music or dance classes. Each man must take care of those four kids, keep the assigned house clean, do the dishes, correct all the homework, complete science projects, cook, do laundry, etc. And there's no access to fast food. And the men only have access to one television when the kids are all asleep and the chores are all done. And that television is a 12-inch with no remote. They must shave their legs and apply makeup daily while driving their children to school. They must keep the classes up weekly, clean up after the sick children at 3 a.m., make a model Indian teepee with six toothpicks, a tortilla, and candle wax, all while getting that four-year-old to eat their serving of peas. Then the kids vote the men off the island based upon their competence. And if the last man does win, he can play the game over and over and over again for the next 18 to 25 years, eventually earning the right to be called mom. I think that's a pretty good, accurate job description. What I want to do this morning is talk to you a little bit about what I learned about God from my dear mom. This is not going to be a theologically profound message today. 
but it is going to be a very simple, straightforward message. I want to give you a couple of things to write down, and, and there's some notes in your bulletin there that you can write these down. Some things I learned that I have known now about God from my mother. First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Moms, just the way you intuitively love is amazing. Stuff that just comes to you so naturally. Love is the only way that I can describe it. You know, you know the kinds of things that I'm referring to. Mom, that, that, that's when your child is about to throw up and you try to catch it. I mean, I'm not going to do that. I mean, when, when your child, when, when you read a book to your child at night, like Horton hears a who over and over the same book in this every night and you don't skip, skip any pages or paraphrase. You read the whole thing. It's intuitive. Or, or you use your own saliva to clean your child's face. That, that's gross. But for some reason, that is very healing and it is very comforting. You bandage all kinds of wounds from the physical boo-boos to the emotional, to the relational, to the spiritual wounds. Moms, you are great at showing love. It is, it is that display of love that helped me better understand God's love for me. That love that was compassionate, tender, caring, consistent, sacrificial, selfless, it all points to God. As a matter of fact, there's a chapter in the Bible that's called the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. People think about this as the love chapter, and I, I could take the word love and insert the word mom and listen to it. Mom is patient and kind. Mom is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Mom does not demand her own way. Mom is not irritable most of the time, and mom keeps no record of when she has been wronged. Mom is, is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Mom never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and, and endures through every circumstance. Maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, especially, you know, the irritable thing. But I think looking at a mom is probably the closest thing we have on earth to God's love. But because mom's love isn't perfect, the Bible boldly proclaims that there's only one love in the universe that has what it takes to transform a life that is moving in the direction of the world's standards and transform that life to go in the way of God's way. It's that kind of love that not only God has, but wants to put into our lives. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, We know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our lives with his love. A heart filled with God's love is the only love strong enough to transform any life. 
all lives because God is love. Say that with me. God is love. Now, as I was thinking about this message, some of you will go very simplistic with this. That's my fear for some of you here today. God is love. Okay, turn Alan off. I've heard that before. But I want to say to you that there is a huge difference between hearing that God is love and experiencing the love of God on a daily basis. A big difference. And as a matter of fact, my prayer for you is the same prayer that the Apostle Paul had in 2 Thessalonians when he said, May the Lord bring you into even deeper understanding of the love of God. Underline deeper understanding. Without a deeper understanding of God's love and without a firsthand intimate experience of God's love, you will do and you will, you will really go through life in one of two categories. You'll go through life in this category either as a non-Christian who's going through life searching for that love that, that he or she may not know exists in God. Or if you're a Christian and you don't have this deep understanding and a firsthand experience of if you lose that significance of God's love, you will kind of skim through the surface of life with this informational degree of God's love but not a transformational experience of God's love. John said that I've been in the ministry a long time. I know I don't look that old, but, but I am old. I've been around a long time. I've been in ministry now over 45 years. And I would tell you that, that for much of my life, for much of my life, even standing in a pulpit, I was not understanding fully this transformational kind of life and it was not until I came to that understanding and God has and I have not arrived yet please don't think that somehow because I've been in ministry a long time that that I'm some statue or some icon I'm not I'm in the same struggles the same fight that you're in but I will tell you this that as I began to grow transformationally and as I began to understand and experience the love of God and the power and the presence of God there is nothing like that ladies and gentlemen there's nothing and and so this is a big deal this morning I grew up in a home where I felt God's love I had a very loving family when I, when I was a child I learned that God loved me so much that Jesus Christ died on a cross and took my place for my sin and that was the love that could change my life so I accepted that love as a young boy, and I felt God's love mostly informationally as I sought to understand and realize that I don't want to live a life like the world. I want to live God's way. So much of that, I, I went to a Christian university. I went to a, a, a Southern Baptist seminary where I learned from probably some of the best professors in the world about the Bible and God's love. And then after all of that schooling, I went into a church to teach those people what I had learned. But it was mostly theory. It was all theory. It was until I experienced the depth of God's love and start living that out in a crazy way. And, you know, and, and something happened in in my life as a, as, a, as a young married person called a baby. <laughs> you know, when I became a dad, I went 
into a firsthand experience with the love that I had been studying. It's been now, my baby will be 35 years old this next month. She is an amazing young lady and a, a great mother. But to be honest with you, I didn't want children at first. My, my late wife and I, we, I, I was a student pastor. When you work with teenagers, you form a very strong form of birth control. I mean, whew, man, it's tough. I mean, I, I said, God, can you really reach middle schoolers? <laughs> I'm joking. Okay, don't, don't get mad at me. But one night when my wife and I were newly married, we went over to some friend's house, and they had a one-year-old. And they sat that one-year-old in between us, and it was one of the grossest experiences of my life. They fed this kid some yammo nasty that he didn't even use his utensils. He grabbed it with both hands and squeezed it like Play-Doh, and it was shooting all over the place. And then he would talk to it. And then he would, he would take it out and he would creatively hide it in his ears. And I'm sitting there trying to eat my steak and potatoes and this kid's fluids are leaking out all over me. He is blowing bubbles next to me. And then the, the parents give this kid a bowl of jello. An adult can't handle a bowl of jello. And I mean, there is jello flying everywhere. And he looks, he, he gets real friendly with me and he sticks his hands all over me. And the crazy thing was my wife understood what he was saying the whole time. I gave this kid the look. You know the look. You give it to animals and children. The look that says, listen, the look of anger, the look of you don't get near me. They don't see or understand the look. But the look for this kid was you touch me again and I'm burning your crib down, buddy. I mean, this kid was yammo nasty in me and jello in me. And we got in the car that night and I looked over at my wife and she's wiping food off of her clothes and my clothes too. And I said, I never want children. And she just smiled. Fast forward, Miners Hospital, West Frankfort, Illinois, labor and delivery room. There's four of us, me, my wife, the doctor, the nurse. I was, I was right there, not the dad in the lobby reading field and stream. I'm there, man. I got a camera and everything. Then, bam, there's five. Well, it didn't quite happen like that, but it was amazing. The delivery didn't hurt me at all, but I did freak out. I ran out into the lobby to... To, to call someone and I forgot who I was supposed to call and I, I almost called my wife and then I remembered she was in the delivery room, you know. I got in there and it was in that moment that I experienced this love that is indescribable. The doctor said to me, would you like to hold your daughter? No. <laughs> no. And, and, and she looked slippery. <laughs> If you've ever seen a newborn, it's like a Vaseline-covered weasel. I mean, that's, it's, it's really the best description. And as I'm holding E.T. here, you know, she grabbed, my, she grabbed my pinky. She grabbed a hold of my pinky, ladies and gentlemen. She's the most beautiful girl in the world. She actually, and she couldn't see me, I don't think. Those eyes did. I mean, she. She grabbed a hold, and it, it was in that moment. If she could have spoken, she would have said, 
I love you, Dad. Because I was saying I love you. If that doctor would have said to me at that moment or any moment, I hope, I hope and pray that I can honestly say, if he would have said, look, this is it's gonna cost your life for this girl to live, take it. I love her. I can't explain it in words, but I can tell you that that bond that was there, but as I watched then Donna take that little girl in her arms, mom, a love that is willing to die, a love that is willing to die for you. When anybody talks about God's love, they go like this, God is love. It's so universal, great. God loves all of his creation, wonderful. But it's deeper than that, ladies and gentlemen. It's more personal than that. With six billion people on this planet, God loves you, it's intimate, it's sacrificial. That's what God does. That's his job description. The Bible says God is love. And for some of you, you think about it in too big of ways. You think about what a God of love and you think about rainbows and you never think about for you that God loves you. God, the Bible says, showed his love for you when he sent his only son into this world to give me life. Real love isn't my love for God, but his love for me. That's what real love is. And God sent his son to be a sacrifice by which my sins are forgiven. He came not only to redeem me and to rescue me, but to restore me and to rejuvenate me and you too. And so for some of you, you've been going through life maybe as a Christian thinking, well, God is love. It's this real general love, but you've never experienced really truly this intimate personal love. So, something else my mom taught me is that God loves to protect and comfort. Now, I shared with you, I shared with you that, that God is a God of love and that God sent his only son to die for your sins and that God is love in a general way, but more importantly, in a very personal way. But God loves to protect and comfort. That's how my mom was. She was a protecting mom. I grew up in a Southern Baptist parsonage. My dad was a Southern Baptist preacher and then a director of missions for many years. And, and I don't know about anybody else in here have a protective mom. I mean, she just, mm. you, you could say a lot of things about a lot of people, but, but you know what a protective mom is? My mom was so sweet, but, but you mess with her children, here's what happens, man. She turns into Chuck Norris on heroin. I mean, it's like, she was lit. I mean, she would, she would get all upset. Somebody say something about her baby boy, Alan, and I was the baby. My sister was six, is six years older than I. So I was, I was kind of like an only child. After my sister went off to college, guess what, man? It was, it was, I was a mama's boy. Now my dad, oh my goodness, he could look at you without saying anything and you better, you better figure out what he was saying. Because he was a disciplinary, my mom. And she was, she was though so protective. Moms are protective. They're on the lookout. You never hear a mom say, go out and ride your bike really fast and leave the helmet at home. You know, 
Wear your best clothes when you go out to play. Or as a matter of fact, you know, you know just, just moms are protective. Within that protection, it breeds this environment of comfort and compassion. For many of us growing up that, with that understanding, that compassionate side of God, we get that from our moms. You know, kids, again, having five, and Jennifer and I blended this family together and put all five kids in the same house. What in the world were we thinking? But you know, I look back on those days and I, I thank God every day for Jennifer Matthews and Spear. Because she became mom to a boy that was eight, nine years old and now she's been a mother to David longer than his biological mother was, longer than his true mother was. And I see a bond that she has with that son. It's it's really funny because people see my daughter's daughter and they go, oh, she looks just like her grandmother. Or someone said to me the other day, I showed him a picture of, of Judah, our seven-month-old grandson from her oldest son, Daniel. And they said, oh, he looks just like you. I said, thank you. <laughs> but isn't it amazing as you watch? And it's amazing for me to watch now my children becoming parents and especially my daughter, how protective and how she is, is this kind of mother. The, the idea of comfort, this idea of protection, it is very consistent with the Bible, how the Bible describes God. Let me give it to you. First Peter chapter five says, let him have all your worries and cares. Circle that word, by the way, all. For he is always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. Always, everything. Why don't we trust God? Back in late December of 2018, first part of January, I was having, and, and still am experiencing some physical difficulties, but, but I, I was not feeling well. And, and long story short, they diagnosed me with a thing called NASH, non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver. Now, you've got to be careful when you're a Southern Baptist preacher and you tell people you have cirrhosis of the liver because they go, oh, whoa, what's going on here, you know? Non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver, and they have told me I'm in the final stages of that. I'm in an F4 stage. They've looked at me and said, man, your liver should have already failed. But God hasn't failed. I've, you know, some of you mentioned this. Well, I've lost some weight, which I needed to. I needed to, but I had to. And, I, and I've, I've changed my diet. I've started exercising. Oh. Man, that's, that's just, that's kind of changing. Exer- Listen, anybody that tells you they love to exercise, I, they're liars. <laughs> but it's done something for me. It's made me understand that, that, yes, the liver can regenerate. And secondly, God is a God that wants us to trust him with everything. Think about Think about this in your own life. Why don't you trust God with your worries and your cares? Listen, today I'm trusting God not only for my health, I'm trusting him for for whatever he has for me in the future. You know what? Probably because a lot of times we don't either trust his love or we've never experienced it fully. 
I want to say to you this morning, when we understand the character of God, when we understand, much like David did in Psalm 40, do not withhold your compassion from me. Oh, Lord, may your mercy and your truth always protect me. When you experience this firsthand love, this intimacy with God, man, reminds me of mom. You're hearing your child say, I need you, mommy. God loves from his children to hear us say, Father, I've got to have you. I'm desperate for you. Because God is a God of love. He's a God of comfort. He's a God of, he got, he's a God of protection. I love Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I say to you, the Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you, according to Psalm 121, as a protective shade. Some of you may not feel that because you may have turned your back to God, but God has not turned his back on you. Church, listen to me this morning. I know it's Mother's Day, but I want to encourage you. God is not finished with you as First Baptist Church, Bradenton. God has a plan for you. It's a wonderful plan. I know some of you saying, preacher, tell us what is it. No, God is going to... God is going to bring that plan in and among you. And it's going to rise up among you so that when you call a pastor, that plan, that vision, that mission will be so beating in your heart that, man, that pastor will want to come lickety-split. He'll want to be here to be with you to say, let's do what God has called us to do. Well, how do you respond then? Well, responding to God's love, it's pretty simple, ladies and gentlemen. It's this. You have to receive God's love. I heard that bell go off and I thought, uh-oh, the trap door is going to open. They're going to sweep me out of here. But I want to I finish this morning, if you'll let me, because... I want you to understand, you have to receive God's love. God's love is still available to you. It's still Isn't that good news? God's love is available. Some of you, many, many of you that I'm talking to today are Christians. You, you know, okay, check, I've already done that. No, I want you to stop for just a minute. How do you go through your day in the presence of God? Being a Christian is a lot more than Sunday. It's living for the Lord. You receive God's love. I receive God's love on a daily basis. The Bible says, as you have received Christ, so walk you therein. Or in other words, as you receive Christ, that's the way you're supposed to walk. That's what Colossians says. How'd you receive him? By faith. How are you supposed to walk with him? By faith. Every day, experiencing the immeasurable love of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God has shown how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. I'm so glad he said, Alan, I love you just the way you are. I'm glad he didn't say to me, you've got to get cleaned up in order for me to save you. No, I've got to receive God's love. That is transformational. 
And you know what happens? You know, when I say, God, I want to receive your love. I give this to you. I give you my sins. I give you my life. I want a relationship with you. I want to be forgiven of all this. God takes that and he tosses it aside as if it's not important because, you know, he says that he buries it in the deepest part of the ocean. And then God gives you much more than a hug. He gives you his life. He gives you the exchange life. And, and, and I know those of you who understand a, a little bit of theology, you know that, 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 that oftentimes we, we try to make this so deep when in fact it's so simple. God loves you, so he gave. And what he asks of us is to receive, and then he says don't only receive, but give it away. He asks us to share the most important experience of our life. Now, I love when people come to faith in Christ. Here about six, eight weeks ago, there was a young lady that walked into the church where I was preaching that morning, and she walked right down the center aisle, sat on about the third row. Uh, it's a congregation that seat about 350, 400 people. They had about 100 people there that day. This girl was not typical kind of congregation in that but but she walked in and and people sat with her and welcomed her but in the in the middle or, or toward the end of my message about five minutes before I was ready to give the invitation she stood up and and with a loud voice she said I need Jesus you know what it's invitation time come on and she, she came forward. By the time she got to the aisle, and she was weeping, she was crying. Obviously, she needed Jesus. And now, I've got to be honest with you, I looked around and some of the, the dignified were, were petrified because they, you've upset the dignity of our service. I'll take that upsetting every day. She stood up, she said, I need Jesus. And, and before she got to the altar, there were about 15 women gathered around her. And there was another lady that came out of this. And there was a man that came from this side. And there were four people that came that morning and trusted Christ. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's why we're here. Because people are lost. And they need Jesus. And I don't care if it upsets our dignity or the dignity of our service, or the dignity of your church. Listen, that pleases God. When people come to experience the love of God. Well, my mom was an amazing lady. I, I would tell you that the last thing about her was she reflected God's love. My mom and my dad got married. My dad was a World War II veteran. My, my mom and my dad got married very early. He was 19, she was 16. <gasps> my daughter wouldn't even, she wasn't dating at 16. And before she ever went out on a date, I showed every boy my knife and gun collection. <laughs> and you can ask my wife, I have quite a collection. I asked my mom, I said, Mom, why in the world, why in the world did you get married so early? She said, because I loved your daddy. But she said, and, and you just have to know, she was being raised by uh, eight brothers. 
her mom and dad were deceased. She was being raised by eight brothers that, that were very much into drunkenness and a lot of craziness. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a good situation. My mom didn't graduate from high school until 1975 when I graduated from high school. She graduated from high school with me. It was a long time. But it was so cool to have my mom sitting there with her cap and gown on, you know. And then my mom went to college, got her associate's of arts degree. And then she finished her bachelor's degree. And lo and behold, she went to seminary and got her master's degree and ultimately got her D-men at age 63. Amazing woman. All of that. But the greatest thing I can tell you is that my mom showed me the character of God and that God was love and I wanted to have that kind of love. Moms, we celebrate with you today. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that, that whatever station in life as a mother you're in, that today you would feel the presence and the power of God. But dear friend, before we pray, I want to say this very candidly to you today. God loves you. And if you don't know Christ today as Lord and Savior, today would be a wonderful day to come to Christ. Today would be the day to say, I need Jesus, because today is the day of salvation. Today's the day for you. And if you came here out of the request or the invitation of someone and, and you weren't expecting to hear that God loves you and that he died. He sent his only son to die for you and that not only did he die for you and ransomed and redeemed you, he rose again so that we can live this exchanged life. Man, that's good news. And today you can experience that and know that. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes.